hate or love? That is the question on today's Raw Fusion. Welcome to the King B's Raw Fusion Podcast. Time. I should have left you without a strong show to flip to. Now think of how many weeks shows you slept through. Uh, time's up. I'm about to bless you with another season, another reason to cut on the TV and start the cheesing. To get up on the phone and go call your friends and let them know the King B's raw fusion begins. Sit on back and enjoy yourself. I'll be your company, baby. If you need a little help, I took off for a while to revise the plan. Got my focus on, so I can. Check out the scam and open up my team Eliminate the fake And when got me a beat from Bobby Drake And now I'm back And it's better than you ever saw But enough talk, let's get raw A typical night at the club Let's get raw You don't want to fall in love Let's get raw You got the fusion in your blood Let's get raw Until my ladies in my thoughts Let's get raw Into the haters on the scene Let's get raw Don't be mad cause we got green Let's get raw You should be trying to make the team Let's get raw Cause we taking everything Yo, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? King B right here, and you know what this is. This is Raw Fusion. We've got a guest today. He's a very funny individual, and I, I, I mean that in the, the nicest way possible. You may have known him as Brian the Wildcat Smith, who is actually starring in my movie, our movie, King B's Hate Love, which is currently streaming on Tubi right now for free. You can go ahead and check it out. Just search King B and Roost and Hate Love comes up. This guy is in both movies, actually. He was in Roost for about eh, a few seconds. <laughs> Although there's an extended version available on my YouTube where you can see like the whole scene. Um, it's like the outtakes from it. And in Hate Love, he's pretty much... One of the main characters, aside from, of course, my character. He's a very hilarious individual. But more than that, he's a very good guy. I have known him for years, way over a decade. And I've never seen anything but a quality individual. And he's one of the few people, uh, even though it took him eight years to come on my podcast, that I consider in this business a real friend, not just an acquaintance, but a friend. He goes by that, well, that's funny. We're going to talk about that. He used to go by the name of Brian the Wildcat Smith. And we're going to talk about the transition. What's up, brother? How you feeling, man? Hey, 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 what's going on, brother King B? It feels good to still be able to feel. Talk to me. <laughs> I'm good, man. It's all good, man. It's all good. Um... Listen, you are a comedian. When did when did you when did you start doing comedy? Man, I started doing comedy probably two thousand, maybe year two thousand. Might have been close to yeah, closer to ninety nine. So it's probably coming up on about twenty three years, man. I I was doing it a little longer than that. Started in com uh, in high school on the speech team, uh, doing events called original comedy, humorous duet acting you know, acting in stage plays and whatnot. So it's just a class clown turned professional. That's funny because your character, I say is kind of like a class clown, but he'll 
just assume kill you as laugh and joke with you. Yes. Uh, so that's funny, and we hadn't even talked about that. Um, <laughs> twenty about twenty two, twenty three years. That's that's right around the time that I really started to do TV. So yeah, around two thousand uh, ninety nine, I was getting into it. Two thousand. So so when I was starting to direct television, you were starting your comedy. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along in there, we ended up meeting and becoming real cool. Uh, the funny part about it is, and I've been saving this shit for a very long time. Uh-oh. I haven't told you this privately, because <laughs> I've been saving it for this shit right here. Well, well, come on with that Oprah shit, man. Come on. <laughs> when The first time I remember uh, noticing you was not when we met through the channels. Um, you guys were, well, we could talk about that as well. You guys had a last laugh troop and I ended up having damn fool and roost. And I'm pretty sure, I don't remember somehow, because all four of you guys were in the troop, I just ended up meeting all you guys. But before that, see if you remember this shit, I remembered seeing you on Judge Mathis show. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Judge Mathis show. And actually, uh, Judge Mathis, we interviewed Judge Mathis for my show, Wild Fusion. See how this shit comes full circle. But the craziest shit about it was they were talking about this is the the best actor in Chicago. And I said, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker ain't the best. I'm the best, <laughs> goddammit. So that's it's the funniest shit ever. So then we ended up meeting. I'm like, this is the motherfucker is on the, the Judge Mathis show. Okay, well let's see if this let's see if he can act. Mm-hmm. Here's what I will say. I'm still the best actor in Chicago. However, hey, you gotta uh, remember I left the city, sir. So that I, I agree. With you. <laughs> nice one. You know, I, I left the door open for that one. I knew, I knew you. I knew you would see it. Uh, but what I will say is that for all these years we've been working, you are you were one of the best actors in Chicago. You are now in a, in a different place. I don't know if you want to tell everybody where you are, but you're in a different uh, city now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say this. It was funny because you were suing some goddamn body. Yeah. I'm like, this motherfucker suing people and shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't even know if I want to work with him as a suing <laughs> <ass>. uh, <laughs> But, no, I will say this. We've worked several times on many different projects. And you are one of the few actors that I know that I'll just have pretty much one conversation with and uh, sometimes not even that but you like to have a conversation for clarification and then that's it and I could put you in just about any role and you'll come with a a very good performance so I will say that you are extremely great actor and and that's where we're going to leave that because you know I mean you're good, but you you're no King B. But you know, there's, you know, there's progressions and levels to this shit. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate that, and I think that a good actor has to have a great sense of direction without being a director. A lot of actors, when we get the scripts, we have it locked in our minds of the way we want to do it, and it may or may not be the right way. 
So I just try to approach it from a natural standpoint, not necessarily as an actor. But if I was this dude, then how would I do it? The hardest thing, in my opinion, is to get somebody to be themselves. So I was just like, if Wildcat was this thug dude that would laugh and kill kill you at the same time, if if I was the character, then how would I portray it? Not necessarily who is this imaginary dude. You know what I'm saying? That's an interesting perspective. That's really the way I approach a character as well, is to to put myself in the character instead of putting the character into me. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is there are certain actors that you expect to see a certain way. Right. And there's a certain way. It's, it's like it's a difference between like a character actor and what they call a movie star. You have like a Denzel. Denzel is Denzel in every goddamn movie you see. Yep. Um, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he did that Roman J. Israel Esquire, whatever the hell that was, great yeah. performance. But before, because he did not look like Denzel, because he stepped out a little bit of the Denzel persona, if you will, people didn't go see it. I went to see it. I paid to see it. I went to the show to see it mm. to support the fact that he was getting outside of that Denzel thing. And it's proven people didn't go see that film. And it's one of his best performances, mm. actually. He could have got an Oscar for that, the role. The way he allowed himself to, allow the character to change him. Mm. Um, but a lot of people just want to see Denzel, right? And Denzel in different situations. So these people who can do this type of thing get trapped in that kind of um, setting, Right. Mm -hmm. They get trapped in having to be the same person over and over again in different situations. Mm -hmm. You know, as a financial motivation behind that, when they can be more of a character actor, which kind of means changing yourself to fit the character instead of changing the character to fit you. And quite frankly, as an actor, I prefer fitting myself into the character as opposed to putting the character into a King B persona. Yeah, that's no fun. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But right now, we're gonna have some fun with these here messages. Coming right up, right here, is Raw Fusion. Hey everybody, it's King B, and I wanna tell you about a truly exclusive experience. My cannabis provider, April Flowers Shaitiva, holds an event called Brunch and Blow. There you can have brunch. I'm talking about waffles, turkey sausage, eggs, hash browns, and more. You can choose whether you want it regular or infused. Also, you're able to sample up to eight different strands. You can take an interactive tour of the grow facility. Want more? Well, you'll be able to try or buy infused products such as peach cobbler, banana pudding, rice krispies, and lemonades. Contact April Flowers Shaitiva on Facebook and Instagram at April underscore flowers underscore Shaitiva, C-H-I-T-I-V-A. Check them out on Groupon or to RSVP or scheduling, call 773-456-3860. That's 773-456-3860. Raw Fusion. What is it that made you want to, or was that always the plan, to go from being a stage, a stand-up comedian to the big screen? Was that always part of the plan or did it just happen? 
No, actually, um, the only reason that I started to do comedy was to get into acting. That is my passion. You know, comedy is great. I love it. I'll always be a comedian. But I would like to say that I was an actor first. I started acting in high school. Comedy came as a vehicle for me to act. And for those who have seen me early in my career, a lot of my jokes were act outs. They were characters. There were different voices. I was an actor actually playing the role of a comedian. So that was mm. that was it. That was the passion. I knew it would open up the doors for acting. That was it. You know, I think that if if, if I took that approach, I'd actually be funny. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I think I, I might. Uh, we had um, Tiny Thickums on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was telling her that at some point, it is my intention to do one show, stand up. One. That's it. Just one. And, and with somewhere where none of you motherfuckers that I know uh, <laughs> that actually do comedy will ever know anything about and ever will be around nowhere near this type of shit because mm-hmm. I don't need you guys bullshit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you... No, 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 I don't want to hear none of that shit. I don't want to hear mm-hmm. shit. But just to do it, I, I, I really feel like at some point I want to do an open mic. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do well, I'm leaving it there. Mm-hmm. If I do horribly, I'm definitely leaving it there. Okay. But just one thing to scratch off the list, you know what I'm saying? Because I realize that it takes a lot. It takes a lot of not only passion, but study. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And I really respect people that are comedians because the thing about it is, is that you only have one thing. You know, as an actor, we could be dramatic. We can make you laugh. We can make you cry. We can make you mad. There's several different things that we have. Mm -hmm. When you limit it to just one thing, you better be funny. Yeah. That's tough. Well, I I think it, it takes a sense of humility. It takes a sense to be... And and in the next realm, this may sound like an oxymoron, but you have to be humble and arrogant at the same time. You have to have a sense of narcissism in you to think that you can pull this off. You know, that's the main thing that that comes with, with entertainers and that level of cockiness, because what we do, the average person can't do. So if you're not humble and, and grounded, then it will start to go to your head because you're in. Imagine you're on stage and it's a thousand five hundred people in that room. Out of those five hundred people, there might be a hundred people that actually think they could do what you do. Out of that hundred people, it might be 10 people that's got the courage to actually get on stage. Out of that 10, it might be a half of a motherfucker that could actually have a good set just walking on stage with the jokes they got without any coaching or real practice. So it takes a a true sense of, of, of knowledge of self, but you get lost in that because you don't know how it's going to go each time until you get to a certain level. You're flipping a coin each time. And I always say this is that the average entertainer you see is on some type of drug. And and I say that, (laughs) I say that directly because when we think of drugs, we often think of substances. 
No, the average entertainer is addicted to some sort of something. It doesn't have to be weed. It don't have to be cocaine. It don't have to be heroin. Even though those are the top three for entertainers, okay? (laughs) Why? Because that pressure, you need a button to relieve that pressure of being funny, of remembering your songs, or whatever it is. It could be sex. It could be your addiction. You could become addicted to the way the crowd makes you feel when you hear that raw. You could, you could, you could become addicted to the praise that you get. So I ask most entertainers that are doing this, like, what drug are you on? And they often look at me like, what, man? I don't do weed. I don't smoke weed. I don't do cocaine. Okay, but are you a whoremonger? Huh? Do you do you get do you you know what I'm saying? I mean, and and people don't understand that. That's why I'm being more candid and speaking openly about it. In order to do this, you got to have something that you can push. That way, regardless of what's happening in your life, you got to go on stage and be funny. And it don't matter what you're going through. You know, your grandma just died. I'm so sorry, but I bet she was old. Okay, now I need you to get your ass on that stage and do it. So. I think it takes a special type of person and without without that foundation, without counseling, without some sense of of grounding yourself, man, it's a it's a cocktail just waiting on somebody with a lighter. That is amazing insight. I say because of this. I've always every time I do a premiere, I want to fuck something afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's 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 incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't doesn't ever happen. But that's really what I want to do. Uh yep. I want to fuck something happen afterwards. The part, the reason why it doesn't happen is because I have so many responsibilities that even after the show and everything, that it doesn't really get to that point because I'm so busy with other things. But that is immediately what I want to do when when I do a premiere. It's just I I got I got too many other responsibilities that I have to take care of to just be able to say up oh, it's it's done. So one of these days when I actually get a real staff mm-hmm. uh, that can handle all those things for me. That'd be what's happening. I'm putting, the limo pull up, and whoever you see in the picture, they they getting took down that night. Um, <laughs> the fuck <laughs> So it is. It is. It is that. You know what I mean? I think that is or has been my drug of choice. But yeah, it is, it's something, man. It's something. Mm-hmm. Um, I was Leon Rogers was on the show as well, who is also in Hate Love, in which you can see right now for free on Tubi. Um, <laughs> and it's amazing that people who do this for a living, a lot of them have very tragic lives. And I've said this several times. Mm-hmm. And they have an ability to turn something that's tragic into something that's funny. You can go back to Richard Pryor when he set his own ass on fire, mm-hmm. and, and he turned that into a whole set. Is, is that is that the reality that you see as well? It, it's an it's a reality. I would say it's a toxic trait because the average comedian uses has the ability to turn a tragedy into something funny, but it becomes their coping mechanism. And what it does is that it puts a Band-Aid on something that needs some staples and real surgery. Mm -hmm. 
And unless you're looking at this from a, a different set of eyes, all you'll see is this dude is funny. But me, you and, and other people can can hear the cry out from the comics mm. who are cracking jokes about all the women that they sleep with and how they, they just do them in and all these different things. It's a cry out. It's saying, hey, I got some shit that I don't deal with really good. And this stage mm. gives me a pass. This stage justifies my sins. This stage is the only therapy I'm getting, but there's no rebuttal. There's no, okay, the therapist doesn't come back and say what you need to work on. The therapist is, is you. The therapist is the audience. It, it, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's, 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 it's what we do, but it is so toxic. Because you become that comedian and you never spend the time working on yourselves. You come up with new jokes, which are actually situations, issues or problems in your life that you should be talking to a fucking therapist about, you know, mm. things that happened to you in your childhood, your, your, your parents and the shit they did. You know, baby mama, baby daddy issues. A lot of the women that talk about mm. sex all the time are whores and they're okay with being a whore, but you see what I'm saying? And, and that's what I feel like a person's joke nine times out of 10, if they're being true to themselves is a storyline of their life. That's what they're about for the most part. I'm not saying who I am on stage is who I am off stage, but you kind of know me and it's pretty much the same dude. It might, Wildcat might be more energetic and loud and he might say something you might might not be expecting him to say but brian smith or mm -hmm. barnabas is that same dude so if you look at my set mm -hmm. you can tell that i have issues with overweight people i have issues with my father you know i i i, I, I used to be a whoremonger you know i got kids you know my perspective in life and that's that's become my ability to turn my tragedy into something funny but when the world shut down it was like i was forced to deal with myself that's why if you're paying attention to a lot of things that's happening with entertainers right now will smith and all these other people is motherfuckers are starting to crack because the world shut down and it didn't matter how much money you had that just meant how comfortable you was being shut down and the entertainers and the comics that don't have that bread that tragedy, that tragedy, they haven't had the ability to turn it into humor. That's when everybody started doing podcasts. Everybody started doing sketches because they had to sit down and deal with themselves. So I think it's a great quality to have that ability. But if you don't, if you're not grounded in it, then then it'll take you away. And, and the reality of it is one of the things that makes you great could kill you or, or, or make you a terrible person. Richard Pryor, one of his famous quotes that stuck to me in my research is that he said that it wasn't a problem that he was smoking freebase. The problem was, is that he was rich and it could and could afford to smoke free base. See mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So we as entertainers, yeah. nobody's telling us to do shit per se. Nobody's sitting us down saying, you have an issue and you need counseling or you need help or you need to stop doing that. You're on a drug that's doing so much to you because you're making money from it. You don't see the cause. You don't see the cause and effect until years later. So 
I love the fact that comedians can turn that frown upside down. But when you get off the stage and go back home, those jokes become your reality and you end up doing some type of drug. Which is interesting and makes you think about the things that we end up laughing about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's 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 some hell of a hell of a psychology for your ass mm-hmm. um, to 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 know that we're getting enjoyment out of someone else's pain. And the flip side of it is if we don't get that enjoyment from their pain, then it to them it's just pain. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's such a crazy dynamic in which they're able to eat because of their pain. And what shouldn't be funny is funny. And we're laughing at their pain. And yet, still, it's just a crazy dynamic if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about it uh, in the next segment. But, you know, the importance of coming from a basis of reality, many of the characters and many of the the films that I've done has a basis in my reality, even if the character is far from me, mm-hmm. there's still parts of me in the whole thing because I write the script. So there's a there's always a basis of some sort of reality, even if the character is, is, is way different from me. We're going to get into all that kind of stuff right after the break, but we got to pay some bills. So we're going to be back more with Brian the Wildcat Smith after this. It's Raw Fusion. Behind many smiles lie a troubling truth. So many people are suffering alone simply because they are too afraid of the stigma associated with mental illness. The road to mental health has no color. It has no age or gender. It's time we take the bull by the horns. It's time we remove the stigma and embrace acceptance to release people from their private prisons and give them the help that they need. It could be your relative, your friend, your loved one. It could be you and you don't even know it. It's time to help those in need, but help starts with you. With an acclaimed broadcast television and independent filmmaker at the helm, we are creating a documentary. This documentary will identify the signs Explore the possibilities, help remove the stigma, and clear the path to mental health. By donating, you will help us help others. From $1 to $1,000, no donation is too small. Let's band together to fight this secret enemy that affects us all. Please donate today. You can donate now at GoFundMe.com slash MentalTheMovie. Fusion. We're back. It's Raw Fusion. Got Byron the Wildcat Smith right here. We're going to talk about uh, this transition in a minute. But in the last segment, we were talking about what it's like to take real life and turn it into entertainment for the public. And uh, I find that, that I do that as well. Uh, I've, I've never been a, a mob hitman, but the reality of gangster life growing up in Chicago. You know, that, that's part of it, right? That's rooted in the realities of, of what I know. Intimate friends, certainly. That was that was sparked from a conversation that I had with a friend. The penis dialogue certainly has a bunch of different stuff in there. 
that's from my own life. And then hate love is loosely based on my life. So most of the stuff that that I do and I write stems from my reality. And then we extend it into the fantasy of film or television or whatever it is. When you are constructing your jokes, what is it that you look for that you know, oh yeah, that's funny, this will work, especially for your type of comedy? It changes. And regardless of what I come up with, I've learned that this is just an idea. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to look at your jokes just as ideas. Mm-hmm. And in that, it may take you some more to get that joke to where you want it to be. Because I'll come up with something and if, if it makes me laugh, then it's in my roster. Now, I have rosters. I have jokes that I do for people. I got jokes I do for my daughter. I got jokes I do in regular interaction. And then I have my set. Mm-hmm. See, the jokes I crack in my life help me determine the jokes that work on my set because I want it to be so relatable mm-hmm. that even if you don't know what I'm talking about, my approach brings you into that world. Mm-hmm. So when I come up with something, I know it's just like an idea. It's just like when you come up with that idea, it's, your, it's only a a a rough draft of that script Mm -hmm. and that joke I may polish for years, for months until I get it where I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And then I've noticed I've taped jokes on TV and then years later, the jokes develop. So, so it's, it's almost like a song that once people start singing it, you change the lyrics, you change it up a little bit. So I come up with jokes just in, it could be in conversation. It could be just something that happens, but they do come to me. I will say that it is a thought. It's usually late at night. So it's, it's a matter of finding out what works best for you. And there's not going to be a schedule. Some people link up with other comics and write jokes. That's cool. That worked when I was new. Mm-hmm. Now, if I set a time to write jokes, it may or may not be that. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's why comedians are so funny because they 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 write down. They're just really writing down and and exaggerating life. Mm-hmm. But as the life happens, why we get paid is because we stop our lives mm-hmm. and look at that situation. We analyze that situation. We take notes. We write jokes on paper bags, napkins, and all of that. It's stopping your life in that moment to say, wow, this happened. Who has it happened to before? And then I'll, I'll have a list of jokes that I want to do. This is just me. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd. I'm that, I'm that nerd that approaches everything like an assignment. That way I just do it. So I'll have the jokes that I know I want to do. And if I'm not hosting, I have to go to the show and watch it Mm -hmm. so that from the jokes I know I want to do, I can either pick the jokes that's going to tag on what the people are talking about, Mm -hmm. or I could pick jokes on the total opposite of the realm. You understand? So if everybody's talking about COVID, I got to mention COVID, but I'm going to go into something else. I'm going to start talking about measles. I'm going to start talking about polio. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the average comic doesn't pay attention to that. 
we come up with our show, our ideas and our jokes, and it's ironclad. Mm-hmm. But the good comics walk in and automatically, if they only have five seconds, they're going to read the room. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at the demographics. They're going to see, is it blacks? Is it whites? What level is it? Is it, is it mid-level? Are these people high end? I sit in the audience and I listen to the conversations. I listen to what they complain about. I listen to what they drink. Uh, the orders that they drink, I go in the bathroom and I'll just sit in the stall for a few minutes. Sometimes it starts out as me just getting myself together. But in that, somebody will come in and say, man, you see old girl in the red dress with that big ass? Boom. <laughs> now I may take a joke and say, I, even though I ain't seen this girl, you ever hear a comedian say, man, there's somebody in here with the blah, 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 blah. That's a joke that they already had, but they saw somebody in here that they can apply that joke to. That's when the comedians roasting people. Those, a lot of those jokes are off the top, but a lot of that other stuff is jokes that we roast people. And based on what you said and what you do, we'll change that to fit you and roast you. So my approach to coming up with jokes, it's a natural, organic approach. And I miss a good amount of jokes just because I don't wake up, I don't stop, I don't pull over, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it is. It's 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 a process that the average entertainer, I, I don't I don't think that you would really ask that question and get the same answer from if two people, more than two people. You know, what's funny is I as a writer, I get so many ideas a day. My process mm-hmm. is I don't write shit. <laughs> I don't write shit until at least two to three weeks have passed. Hmm. If that shit still bothers me, then it wants to be written. Otherwise, hmm. I'd have 16, I'd start 16 scripts a day. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. just, just sitting there talking to people, you can get an idea for a movie. It has to bother me and say, hey, you're gonna write this. You know what I mean? And it has to be weeks passing. And then I said, okay, all right. I'm still thinking about this thing. So it's probably something I should should start writing and writing down. And, it, mm. and it's kind of, you, you, I get it. You're kind of moody with it. Yeah. I think I'm funny in spurts, right? That's why I've never really done a comedy. That would have to be written by a professional. But I can, uh, and you've seen my scripts. Mm-hmm. I can put you in the realm of funny and then let you go. And then you'll make it funny, funny. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. opportunity. I, I know how to make an opportunity for a comedian to come and make something funny, even though it's in in a very serious setting, because I haven't done a, a, a comedy yet. But I think that people who don't do comedy write some of the best comedic shit because it's all like like you could write something and we could sit down and make it funny through that conversation you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i think that when when people step out you you're, you're such a uh and, and you're, you're such an artist that you're you're so focused that if you did decide to focus on that and just just do it the best you can you're not a comedian per se but I think that people that have a, a level of passion in certain areas, once they step outside of that comfort zone, it's such a refreshing 
uh, appeal to that person that you actually open up a whole nother realm in your mind because you, you, you're you saying things that's going to tap into your artistic soul. Mm-hmm. And I think true artists, we have an artistic soul. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you were talking, I wrote down, does it bother your artistic soul? Like these concepts are bothering your artistic soul. So if you were like, damn it, man, I I could do something like that. And I'm not going to put pressure on on myself to write a a comedic script. I'm going to write from my passions. And like you said, leave those spaces. Now, I'm a comedian who will find humor in places where you might not see it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do to turn something from being dramatic into something that's funny without it being just, okay, this is that dude. I don't know what he going to do, but to give it that appeal. Cause that, that's, that would be my vision for something that you would write in that style. I do get your point. Here's the thing. You are one of those people that I referred to before, except for you're actually funny. Do you find um, that a lot of people, when you talk to a regular conversation that are, are comedians, do you find that they're always testing shit out on you? Because I know that you're testing shit out on me. See if, how my reaction is going to be. Except you're actually funny. A lot of comedians do mm-hmm. that shit all the fucking time. And you feel obligated to laugh just so they feel better. Um, yeah. And you can't have a normal conversation with them. Now we've had normal conversations, but then I know when you're testing shit out on, uh, as well. So um, mm-hmm. do you find that when you have conversations with other comics? Um, yes. It's kind of weird because you have those comics that are always on. And I personally hate those motherfuckers. <laughs> I swear, I hate those motherfuckers. Like, like you're not a real person or... You didn't really like yourself until you started doing comedy. And that gives you the confidence to be whoever the fuck you are. <laughs> um, people testing jokes on people. It, it's it's weird because a lot of times people will accuse me of testing new material when it's some shit I just came up with. And I just said naturally and you laughed and now it becomes a joke. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? The best jokes write themselves. Mm. The second best jokes are exaggerated facts. And then it's straight up lies. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I just I just clarified that. And I don't have the time to write that down. Write themselves. Good thing I'm taping. <laughs> um, but but with that said, <laughs> with that said, in the conversation, it depends on who you're talking to. If it's a joke that I wrote, then it's something that you're going to spark that it make me think that this is a good time to write that joke. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's a good time to try that joke. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if I'm other than that, I'm, I may just be like, okay, I'm, I'm in a mood. But in a natural conversation, mm-hmm. a lot of times things just come up. I get that all the time. And I think it's 10 times worse from people that are not comedians. Mm. Because they always, it, it's word usage that people don't understand. The average comedian, especially if, if, if they have a sense of intelligence and you can see that it's not just curse words and everybody fucking curses, but people who curse all the time and that's all you hear, they, they, they just don't have, a, they don't have enough words. Mm. And that's all it is. So you, you, you'll, you'll be able to tell that when you're listening to it. 
mm-hmm. and, and breaking it down, you'll hear it like, okay, this person is really just, is he really just, is he trying it? Is he trying too hard? Mm. The, the, the people that don't do comedy are always like, hey, you could use this. Mm. That's what I hate the most. <laughs> but in that, I get some useful information. You use the thing it, that I'm noticing. <laughs> you use uh, it. You use it, motherfucker. You get it. Get your ass those stage to use. I won't use your shit. Do you feel like right, saying yeah, that to no. them? <laughs> no, no. I want to say I appreciate it. Mm. I hear this, and oftentimes I do. A lot of the shit I've wanted to say over the years, I'm now saying. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. But if if a person could take the the time to figure out what they want to say to people. And I think the world would be a better place because if somebody walks up and say, hey, man, I got this joke, man. You can put it in your little sketch automatically. I don't give a fuck what you tell me (laughs) because of the words you're using. I'm not really paying attention. Right. Because it ain't no little sketch. It ain't no little set. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's like, man, I got a scene you can put in your little movie. The fuck is you talking to, <laughs> Lil? You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> now, if you say, hey, man, I, I got this joke I've been thinking about, man, maybe you could use it, maybe not. I love that. Mm. I love when you give me the option, because I really probably don't even want to hear the shit. Mm-hmm. But I love your approach. Hey, man, I came up with something. I've been thinking about it. Something you could use, man. If not, then cool. Other than that, all right, because when people come to you with shit that they so excited about, mm-hmm. people don't understand that delivering a joke to an individual is not going to tell you if it's going to work on stage. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because that individual probably knows you. So maybe you'll, they'll laugh. Maybe they're being nice. But in a, in a conglomerate, in a, in a room full of people, strangers mixed in, that's the, the, the difference. I get people doing that shit to me all the motherfucking time. And over the years, I've learned to accept it because as being a comedian and entertainer, you you kind of give yourself to the public, especially after shows. Mm-hmm. But 99.9% of the shit people walk up and try to tell me is trash. Mm-hmm. 90% of the jokes comics walk up and tell me is 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 trash because the because of the pressure that they feel is associated with telling another comedian a joke. Mm. Now you may tell a comedian a joke and we might not laugh, but we'll give you some confirmation to say, oh man, that was funny. Mm-hmm. And you might be thinking, why the fuck you ain't laughing? Right. That's because we're comedians and this is what we do. Mm-hmm. If I was a record exec, I could hear you singing and within the first five seconds, I know if you got a fucking voice. Right. We have that ear. We all have that ear. You have that ear naturally. If you hear a song after about 30 seconds, 20 seconds, you know if you want to keep listening to it or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. getting people walking up to you with advice and trying shit on you, it depends on their approach. It depends on who they are. And more importantly, what mood you're going into. Mm -hmm. Most people walk up and and feel like because you're a comedian, you're always supposed to be in the joking mood. But people that have respect to say, hey, man, you busy? You, you, okay, I want to run something by you. And here's what I love. Is now a good time? <laughs> uh, the world slows down when people say that because they're being considerate of what the fuck you're going through, not your job. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you could be shooting somebody, but if the police is already en route to a crime, they can't stop. Yeah, that's their fucking job. Right. 
but but find out what the fuck is going on before you try to tell somebody something. You try to crack a joke. So it's 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 a lot of different things that I've learned over the years that'll make somebody even listen to you. I've learned how to listen to people without listening to them. <laughs> I, I don't even know what the fuck that means. Um. <laughs> you know what it means. Someone's talking and what they're saying is not even important to them because it's probably something that they could fix on their own. Some people just want to be heard, but you're kind of looking in their face. They're saying certain things, something they said, something they say turns your ears off just for a few minutes. Uh So a few seconds. So, so for a few seconds, you're not really listening. Uh And then you tune back in. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's really, it's not that you just ain't listening at all. It's just, you're listening to hear when you can stop listening. I think that's that's what it is. Okay, we we we'll roll with that one. But here's the thing: uh, he likes for you to do that. Me, I don't. Don't don't give me your fucking ideas. And I, that's not to say you don't have a good idea. What people don't realize is when it comes to doing film, that is a year, at least, of my life. Uh, I got to write the script, which could take months. I think the shortest time I've ever written a script because I was under pressure was two weeks. Came out very good. Typically, it takes two to three months. It can take longer. I got some scripts that I've started, brilliant scripts, and it's been years since. Uh, I, and it's still not finished. And then I got stuff that's finished that I haven't even shot yet. So there's that. Then there's the financing to it. Then there's the actual production, which can take months. Then there's the post-production that can take months, and I'm still tweaking shit years after. Uh, even even when we're releasing these new films, there's re-edits, re-cuts, re-recordings. There's all this shit and work that I have to... Don't tell me about your goddamn ideas. It may be brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then what I will say is learn how to write, Learn how to direct, learn how to edit, or whatever you're gonna do, learn how to produce. Learn how to do something and get that shit out, and I will buy a ticket. But it, I don't I don't wanna hear your fucking ideas because I got scripts I haven't done yet and things that I wanna do in the future, and it just takes too much of my goddamn time to put this shit together. It's not easy, it's not simple, it's not quick. So if you got an idea, send it to, um. <laughs> send it to Wildcat. Don't send it to me. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> don't send that shit to me. <laughs> I feel you, bro. I I I, I get it. I, I truly get it. And then un, unless you say it, all people think is that they're they're trying to help. Yeah. And other people don't have the discipline to take that idea to fruition. Right. So they know you've done a movie. Uh-huh. So let me tell you to do the work that I should probably be. Doing. Right. Because it's my idea, it's my concept. Mm-hmm. I have the passion for it, not you, right? Right, and even if I am passionate about it, even if it is a good idea, my ideas are pretty good too. So um, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, I mean, there's certain people that I work with. Um, you're one of them, uh, even though we haven't finished that script yet. I'm the, I, I just got so many other fucking things going on. We're going to get it done. Mm-hmm. But there's a few people that I want to work with on that level, but even... With them, it's it's limited because it just takes so much fucking time and energy to put it in there. And I am not 
who I had the business of putting my name on anything just to put some shit out. I gotta, I gotta, even if it's someone else's idea, I have to put in just as much uh, effort and energy into it as I would if it was my original idea. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and, yeah. and then, like I said, to bring it to fruition, when I, when I, when we get the millions of dollars and I can just sit back and throw money at it and, and get, um, other writers and other directors and other producers to go on board, then I could have 10, 10, 15 projects going at the same time. Sure. Bring me your ideas then. Right now, when I got to do all the work, I want to hear shit. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. You know, it just works like that. Listen, we're going to come back after these messages. And uh, I feel like I'm going the afternoon special. It's King B's Raw Fusion right here. Let's get it. Here I am all alone as I stand to my feet. My heart pumps not once but twice within the same beat. Ah, this happened like a variety of partners. I'm not about to go to some funky club to get on some funky dance floor to dance with some funky man. I never used to think about it. Just give me one good reason why we shouldn't enjoy each other's actually. It can ruin our friendship. I don't think so. It, it doesn't feel right. Eric, I know what you do with these women. That has nothing to do with that. That has everything to do with this. have been drawn. The question is, in the end, should I or should I not get intimate with my close friend? I'm gonna shave you. I already had a shave. No, where I'm gonna shave. Oh, no. Watch King B's Intimate Friends streaming now for free on Tubi. Outside of the U.S., then watch King B's Intimate Friends for free. On Plex. Raw Fusion. It's Raw Fusion. Uh, we got Brian the Wildcat Smith, a.k.a. Barnabas. Uh, we definitely got to talk about this shit. Um, <laughs> now, for 22 years, you've been going as the Wildcat. Right. You recently decided that you wanted to change your name to Barnabas. Talk about why you wanted to make that transition after branding the Wildcat for so many years. Like I'm a big student of the arts and I watched artists fight for their masters after reaching the pinnacles in their careers. Mm -hmm. And in that, the industry often owns that name. Mm. A good example is Prince mm -hmm. turned his name into a symbol. But in that transition, what was it? He was the artist formerly known as Prince. That's basically saying there's still Prince, but I can't use Prince no more because I'm, I'm not on that no more because Prince was something that I did. And once I got older and realized what Prince had done, I, I felt the need to change my name mm. and, and grow in a different direction. This is me speaking as Prince. So as far as Wildcat, Wildcat was was this funny guy. He was he was a father. He was this dude, but but he was suppressing the real person inside. Mm -hmm. He was using coping mechanisms: comedy, uh, sex, alcohol, marijuana, whatever. I was using that person to mask what I was going through. Mm -hmm came out here to LA, went through a lot of shit and, and found the need for a change. Not 
start my own church, but clean up some of the shit that I had been doing. It just didn't make sense to my life, my career, my spirit. And in that, I started thinking like, okay, I need to change myself. And in that, I needed to change my name so that when I think of myself and this nickname, because Wildcat, when I think of Wildcat, I think of everything that came along with Wildcat. So just as me starting off this new page in my life, spiritually, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, going through therapy, talking to this dude, like we, we damn near go on dates every week and just talk to each other. Like it's, it's like I'm on the phone just figuring myself out. Mm. So in that, I feel like it would help me to start over by kind of rebranding myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not so dependent on comedy anymore. I'm, I'm finding other ways and other sources of income to where I can really start digging into it. Now, when Barnabas really drops, Barnabas Israel, he's going to be Wildcat. He's going to be Brian Smith. He's going to be better. He's not going to use comedy as a coping mechanism. I'm going to use comedy as something that I enjoy to do. Why? Because now I don't have to do it for money. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do it to satisfy my sins. So it's just kind of like me coming out as this new person, regrouping, regrowing. And I picked Barnabas because he's a he's a biblical the story of Barnabas is a biblical guy that if if his main thing was to make sure that people were straight, that people had the word, he would take his time and talk to you whether you was big or tall. He rode around with Paul helping out spread the ministry. And when I got to looking at it, like, that's me. Like, I'll sit back and talk to comics, whether it's your first day or you've been doing it for years. And really take the time and break it down to people who want to get into the acting world. For people to really have true questions, I've always felt like, damn it, man. I remember the time when I was trying to do this and do that. So instead of just answering a question to get them the fuck out of my face, I've always made it taking a personal approach to those people. And when times got hard for me, those were the people that literally saved my ass and booked me on shows and sent me money when I broke my leg and whatnot. So that's that whole transition to saying that I'm not going to let the industry take me and fuck me because they constantly fucking artists. The only thing that's changing is the dicks are getting bigger. So fuck all of that. I'm not going. So the change from Wildcat to Barnabas is that same rebel that you knew that would pick a name like Wildcat. But now I'm trying to put the most high. I'm trying to put God with it. I'm trying to put some righteousness with it. I'm trying to put more logic to it. Mm-hmm. And say that I'm still going to satisfy, I'm, I'm still going to achieve my dreams, but now I got God rad with me. I got more common sense, more logic. And instead of being a fucking wildcat, I'm going to be better than that. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way to put it, brother. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Um, and I appreciate you being here at Raw Fusion to break that type of thing down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We all have our our different situations dealing with this business. And I've been quite clear in saying that I am jaded and this business has made me uh, so, or I've allowed it to make me so. And, um, you know, even just finding the motivation to do, I envy um, who I used to be. The one that saw the bright lights and the, and the glamor and the excitement of of being 
in this business and then the reality hits about this business and you realize how much of this shit is actually fugazi and you accept it. You not only accept it, but you become a part of it and promote it. And I still struggle with a lot of the things that I do. I love gangster movies. I love playing gangsters. I love playing mean and evil characters because it's not me. I like seeing it. I, I'm one of those that likes murder porn, which is not per- porn about murder. It's just, <laughs> it's really those true crime stories. Um, mm-hmm. I, I watch that shit all day. But then I ask myself the question, if I'm putting out this stuff, what is the residual effect from it? You know, I love seeing women naked, half naked, whatever. But as a photographer, if I'm putting out this stuff, what's the residual effect? And do I have to go away from what I enjoy in order to serve the better good? Or am I dealing with people who understand what this really is, right? Mm. And so if I'm dealing with people who understand this is entertainment, this is not for you to pick up a gun and go shoot people or become a mob hitman or whatever it is, then great. I also look at the situation of me as a kid and the fact that the reason why I didn't want to join gangs. The reason why I didn't want to be in the streets like that was Goodfellas. Well, one of the reasons. Mm. And I'm like, if you motherfuckers are doing this shit to each other, I want no parts of none of this shit here. You know what I'm saying? It's not even the ops that you got to worry about. It's the motherfuckers just shooting you in your own fucking crew. This is not the shit I I want to be a part of, right? So I look at that and say, yeah, you know, if I show the reality of it, intelligent people will say, nope, that's not really for me. But I watch it, right? But then right. we're not dealing with always intelligent people. And yes, it's going out to the masses. So do I, you know, once once we put it on streaming platforms, I don't know if a 12-year-old is looking at this. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if we're dealing with people who monitor their children. You know, but at the same time, don't I have a right to do what I want to do? It's something that I struggle with and I go back and forth. And um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So it, it's interesting to me, and I'm glad you, you know, wanted to talk about it, is that we are people and we're not just here, just here, singing, dance in front of cameras and shit. But we have mm-hmm. thoughts we have struggles, we ponder intellectually, and and sometimes, you know, we have to figure shit out. And so, would I do a Roost 3? Probably, I'm looking forward to it. Mm. But what, what else can I put in there that's a safeguard, right? Am I gonna stop wanting to see half-naked women or naked women? But when I started doing that, you know, everybody on my social media wasn't naked. Now, you can't find a chick that ain't naked. And to me, that's not really what I would marry. Right. So it's like, where do we go with this? And am I contributing to the demise of my own shit? I don't know. Um, That was was heavy, brother. That was heavy. Well, you know, those are philosophical questions that people who are in this entertainment business um, actually have to deal with. But man, bro, I appreciate you for being on the show. We could talk 
16 hours. Uh, this is fuck around and be drink champs. Um, <laughs> but it's not. So, man, I appreciate you, brother. Keep going strong. Brian the Wildcat Smith, um, you're not only a good brother, but uh, a friend of mine. And um, uh, I've seen you as a person be a very good person. And that's why I fuck with you and consider you one of my friends, my true friends in this industry. And uh, man, I wanna uh, big ups you for all the shit that you've done and the shit that you are gonna do more and even bigger. Uh, I just gotta get used to calling you Barnabas now. <laughs> hey man, that's all right. You you figure out, you call me Wildcat, you call me Barnabas, just call me. That's what's up. Nothing but love. Uh, before I leave, everybody please check me out. All social media, DA Wildcat, Barnabas the Cat may pop up, but it's still your boy, Brian the Wildcat Smith, DA Wildcat, all social media, IG, Facebook, Twit, Twit. Do something for your soul, read something for your mind. Right on to the real and death to the fakers. For sure, for sure. Coming right up after the break, it's another one of the cast members from the hit movie, Jay Marie, is coming up. It's Raw Fusion, baby. Behind many smiles lie a troubling truth. So many people are suffering alone simply because they are too afraid of the stigma associated with mental illness. The road to mental health has no color. It has no age or gender. It's time we take the bull by the horns. It's time we remove the stigma and embrace acceptance to release people from their private prisons and give them the help that they need. It could be your relative, your friend, your loved one. It could be you and you don't even know it. It's time to help those in need, but help starts with you. With an acclaimed broadcast television and independent filmmaker at the helm, we are creating a documentary. This documentary will identify the signs, explore the possibilities, help remove the stigma, and clear the path to mental health. By donating, you will help us help others. From $1 to $1,000, no donation is too small. Let's band together to fight this secret enemy that affects us all. Please donate today. You can donate now at GoFundMe.com slash MentalTheMovie. Raw Fusion. And we're back. This is King B's Raw Fusion. You know how we get down right here. We had it on the show. A couple of weeks ago, this person is uh, a friend of mine. Very cool. Uh, or at least she used to be. Um, and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny when you when you actually have to do this professionally with your friends. It, you know, you, you have to be professional, but, you know, off camera, it's a whole nother situation. But... We had her on last show talking about her role in King B's Intimate Friends. Now we're talking about the other movie that she co-starred in, <laughs> which is King B's Hate Love. Mm-hmm. Um, we did Roost, the, the two Roosts, and then when I came to doing my fifth movie, 
I gave her a call. It is a star-studded event. If you haven't seen this movie, yes, it is, uh, and especially if you're from Chicago, it's it's just you know you know like more than half the cast you know from different things. But this is Jay Marie right here on Raw Fusion. What's up, Jay? Woo-hoo. How you feeling? <laughs> What's up, baby? What's going on? Hello, everybody. How are you? It's good. It's good. It's good. Now this role is a little bit different from the one that you had in Intimate Friends. Um, when reading the script, like like the first one, you were basically taking over someone else's spot. But this one was yours from the beginning. What were you thinking when you first read the script for Hate Love? I was excited. I was actually ready to get back into it again. The first film was a little nerve wracking for me. Um, because it was new. I was just doing, you know, the modeling thing and had did uh, some commercials and that was my lane. Um, But I did want to expand and do more. And you gave me my first opportunity with uh, Intimate Friends and I got a little bit more comfortable in that space. And so when you introduced Hate Love and I looked through it, I'm like, okay, yeah, let's let's do it because I wanted to challenge myself as well and see if I've grown and just uh, prove something to myself that I could do it. And so I was very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, me knowing knowing you, I knew. Yeah, that's the funny thing about, again, working with your friends. And there's, if you look at my films, there's several people who you see in several different movies. It's um, It's kind of a staple that some people are just, they're gonna pop up at some point. Meaning, I'm not lazy, but when it comes to casting, I probably could be labeled that simply because when I get ready to cast, I'm I'm going through my phone. <laughs> That's how I cast. I go through my phone, and so most of the roles, um, the speaking roles anyway, are gone. That's why it's important to, if you're going to get in, you got to get in early because I only leave the stuff that, the people that I know, either they've taken up other roles or they may not particularly be right for certain roles. And then that's when I start the other casting process, you know, the cattle calls and and all that kind of stuff. So I know, I knew you could do it, whether you knew it or not. <laughs> well, you've uh, always been. You, you've always been, I don't want to say cheerleader because you're a guy, <laughs> but you have always had my yeah, back. You've always had my back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, if it was the other way around, that would be great too. Oh, um, but yeah, no, um, no, <laughs> no. There's been very little <laughs> that I've asked you to do professionally that uh, that you never that you came that you didn't come through for. So that's a very good, very good thing. So <laughs> I can't. I, it's funny because I don't want to kind of give away the movie, but. The last scene, and uh, for people who have seen it, the last scene that you're in kind of shocked the shit out of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, without telling people why it shocked the shit out of out of out of, out of people, what what was you, what did, what were you thinking when doing that that role? I think it's you know probably a departure from at least your on screen persona mm-hmm. to that point. However. You know, me knowing you personally, I could totally see it. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're real funny. I'm just saying. 
uh, you know, I I can completely see it. If anybody's seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. But what what was what were you thinking? You know, when having to do that scene? Well, okay. So let me be careful because I don't want to give the movie away because it's awesome. If you haven't checked it out already, you have to check this film out. It's a dope film. Um, but I definitely wanted to try to show a side of me that not everybody knew. And I think that's where the shock factor comes in. Because honestly, for those that do not know me on a uh, personal, like a really close friendship level, like, yeah, you've seen several different sides of me, but we are close like that. So you, you've seen that. And I don't let everyone in that bubble. And so I wanted to make sure that I tapped into another side of me that was different from what people assumed or thought of me. And um, to be honest, I think I did a pretty good job, don't you say? Yeah, you okay. <laughs> um, you know what? You don't no, give no, me my props. No. It, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it was, it was, it was very believable. Um, but then, you know, with me at the helm, uh, nothing, you know, you can expect nothing less. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The one thing I, I, I mean, the one thing I do pride myself on is being able to give people their first opportunities or, you know, it, it if you've done any acting, it's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've talked to people who, you know, oh, I haven't done anything. I just did something in a play in school. Uh, that is actual training. Mm-hmm. It's school. Mm-hmm. It's, it's some sort of training. But then when you get the camera in your face, it's a little different. It is. You know what I mean? And you got to make it a comfortable situation. And one thing I do try to pride myself on is not only getting good people and casting good people, but trying to make the environment fun. Mm -hmm. And um, we typically have a lot of fun. And then at the end of the day, we shot a movie. And that it makes it feel like it's not so much work. I mean, it is especially the learning the lines and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and then the, rep- the the natural repetition of it. But it's also, it could be fun. It's supposed to be fun. It is. And if it's not fun, then I think it, yeah, I think it translates on film if people aren't enjoying what they're doing, right? I wholeheartedly agree. What do you, what do you, what do you think is the most satisfying about acting for you? Seeing the ending result. When you can sit down and be an audience, be in the audience and watch yourself on film. And like sometimes, a lot of times I take, even when I was just modeling, um, I always said I could completely understand what Beyonce meant when she would say she has Sasha fears. You know, you have these split personalities per se. Uh, when you're in front of the camera and when you're off, typically if I'm not in front of the camera, I can be very, you know, out out in the on the sideline. You know, I'm away from all of the glitz glam stuff. I like to just chill. And so sometimes when I'm either taking pictures or I'm shooting commercials or film. Um, it's like as soon as you step on and that camera is in your face, you become a whole nother person. And so when I'm sitting back and able to see that 
with my own two eyes is a really satisfying feeling. So I think that's the best part of it, just seeing the ending result and be, you know, being mind blown, like, wow, that's me. I did that, <laughs> you know, so that that's the best part for me. I, that's interesting uh, that you say that because you, 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 you're full of shit. Um, now look now. Like, look now. No, 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 no. You're not going to come with my show, show bullshit. Um, here's the thing. I'm not saying that that's not, I'm not saying that that's not, that's not, that's not where you're bullshit. Um, but we've kicked it. Like you got to understand that, like the, the dynamic of our friendship. Uh, I am laid we back. We were the type, we were the type that would go out to dinner and all that kind of stuff on like regular basis. Well, regular for her anyway, but you know, on a more consistent chill level she is not laid back I she's not almost. any of that shit uh, oh she, my goodness she, <laughs> put me in a she, room she, but that's because I was oh with Lord. you see go back you gotta oh. think back to your archives oh. think back in the archives oh. that when I'm with someone right. that I am comfortable with and that I know and I'm familiar with you get to see another side of me. But if you typically, if you put me out into an environment or a room full of people that I do not know, you will find me somewhere off in the corner and just chilling to myself and observing. Mm. See, so okay. that's, that, that's facts. Just saying. Um, okay. I mean, if you, uh, that's, that's what, that's what you want to put out there. Then fine. Uh, you can just, you can just go with that. Uh, but, uh, the truth of the matter is, yeah. Um, you stop doing it's funny. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, I'm going to keep going. That's just what I do. Uh, I've never seen you just sit in the corner anywhere mm-hmm. at any event, but okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. It's, it's funny. You were one of the reasons why we ended up getting Leon mm-hmm. Rogers. Uh, and we talked about this mm-hmm. uh, when he was on the show last season. We talked about the fact that the reason why he reached out to me is because he saw you and Herb Kent in the trailer for Intimate Friends. And then he reached out to me on MySpace. Wow. <laughs> I'll show you how long I know. that was. Uh, <laughs> And and uh, and and he wanted to be a part of the films after seeing the quality of the work one, but also seeing you and Herb uh, in, in in rest in peace, uh, rest in peace, Herb Kent, yes. great guy. But seeing you guys in the films gave him the comfortability to reach out to me, and you know I've been working with him and several movies uh, since so and you were one of the block party babes yes that's my guy yep black i was a block party babe (laughs) for leon rogers (laughs) and yeah that that is my homie he's actually i want to say he was either the first or second person i hopped on the phone with when um i decided to join the cast the flavor of love and um I was nervous about that. I was like, oh, I don't know if I should do it. I don't want to look crazy. (laughs) But me and Leon, we go way back. Uh, We have a really cool relationship. And so it was definitely fun to be able to work in different spaces 
um, with him as well. I remember that as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also remember telling you that if you made a fool out of yourself, I'm yes, you, yes, you. Um, <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> That is right. Yes, this is, the funny part about it was she was trying to act like, you know, I guess I guess you signed some kind of NDA or whatever. But uh, she was she was just saying I was going to do something in L.A. And I think she might have said something about VH1. I said, if you went to go do that goddamn <laughs> show. Um, <laughs> it's like she's saying this shit like I'm not in the industry and I don't know what's being filmed at what time like I'm like I'm out of the loop yeah, like, just cause on? I'm independent doesn't mean I don't know what the fuck That's is going right. on in other other situations and I like you went to go do that goddamn show didn't you yeah you did I swear to god if you showed your ass oh, I'm, I'm coming for you yeah. I'm going, oh yeah, my God, there's going to be some like, shit, yes. <laughs> but you know, it is what it, it is. is. And you know, so, I mean, that's where some people know you from, but they can get to know you in a better situation yes. by going to Tubi um, and, or Plex out of the country and checking out the movie Hate Love, King Beast Hate Love right there. Hey, it's real cool, buddy. I uh, appreciate you for being here Thank and being you. back and you know, I don't know if I could deal with you for another uh, yes, you can. film, don't but you know, you never know. Yes, you will. You, you never will. know. <laughs> yeah, you know, with enough drugs, you can do anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I'm just there calling. I see. It's okay. Got a new comedian yeah. now. I, no, I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, you know, sometimes you need a, you need a, you know, you know, weed hey. is a. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> 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 I'm just gonna leave that alone. <laughs> it's time to talk some shit with King B on the King B's Raw Fusion Podcast. Brought to you by King B's Hate Love. Now streaming for free on Tubi. You know, for as much as I hate about the bullshit that's associated with this business. I love it. I love filmmaking. I love working with my friends. And sometimes even working with people creates new friendships. It's a lot of fun to be had, a lot of work to be done. We've got the movie about mental health in which you can help us get this film made by going to GoFundMe slash MentalTheMovie and leaving a donation. And I'm so excited to be getting back to work on a brand new project with more information to come soon. Those are the things that I love. Good work with good people helping other good people. I'm King B and this is Raw Fusion. Raw Fusion. Raw Fusion.